0: Hello and welcome to Episode 8 of Prep to Pivot Season 2, where we explore different aspects of making pivots and careers with expert guests from academia, industry veterans across banking, retail, hospitality, to diplomats and research faculty from top business schools around the world. Today we have with us expert guest, Professor Vandit Pamoru, Assistant Professor of Information Systems at the Indian School of Business. His primary research interests are in the areas of user engagement of online platforms and incentive designs in the context of emerging technologies, including reinforcement learning, causal inference, randomized control trails, NLP, topic modeling, hidden Markov models, and econometrics. His work has been presented in multiple conferences and he received his PhD in Management Information Systems and Masters in Economics from Purdue University and his undergraduate in Information Systems from Pilani. Prior to his PhD, he has extensive industry experience in user experience design and product management. Thank you so much for joining us today, Professor Vandit. So now that we've understood your career path so far, I'd like to start by understanding a little of why you chose to be a product manager initially and what was the turning point that made you pivot into academia and research?
1: Okay. Hi, Ruchira. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. So when I got started with my career, I was initially very interested in design. I was interested in designing Digital interfaces, designing interactions as such, designing things that we, we had not seen before in a digital space. For example, when you talk about something like Windows Mobile, which was which came up with a complete new design language itself, rest of all the applications that you can think of had to adopt to that language and then start having a presence there. That process excited me. And once I got into the design side of things is when I realized, hey, design is actually not an art. It is a lot driven by science. In fact, you need to really understand what goes on when a user sees this design. And you need to measure that. And when you talk about measuring outcomes, there comes data. So I was introduced to analytics when I started being a designer. And doing a lot of analytics to really understand what is working for users, what is not working for users, what kind of incentives will nudge users to take certain actions on a website or a mobile interface is where I got started. This is around 2009. And uh, yeah, mobile apps were still nascent. And there was a lot of opportunity for exciting design opportunities.
0: Right. Uh, so when it comes to information system, analytics and uh, design, what about this particular area is uh, something that excites you the most?
1: So for me, the fact that there are so many things about human behavior that we don't really understand. And we are also biased, right? We are, Each data that we generate is very biased. The fact that we understand these biases, the fact that we can fine tune these um, biases into some kind of meaningful uh, insight is what excited me since the beginning. So, once I started doing a lot of analytics, that kind of gave uh, a nice path into information systems, which was what I was doing in my undergrad as well. So, became a nice segue into, hey, let me understand the user behavior and what kind of incentives work for users that ties back into the kind of insights that businesses want. And more often than not, something that I only realized after starting my PhD is that more often than not, when we talk about, when we talk about, say, uh, research in academia, it's, it's more about, say, publishing papers is how you would view it. But there's a lot of application that academia can have to the real world. That's exactly what we try to um, learn more about and exploit during our PhD, essentially.
0: Right, absolutely. Uh, so, in this particular domain, what would you say would be your favorite research project that you've ever worked on, problem or pro- project?
1: That's uh, that's a good question because the everything while while you work on it sounds interesting, but something that. Uh, that was kind of my first project and kind of exposed me to research itself was this project on Pokemon Go. So we know that augmented reality applications are are getting popular and Pokemon Go is one of those augmented reality applications which went viral. A lot of people moving around just to catch Pokemon and they could only see through their phones. So they, were, they had their eyes on their phones, no focus on the roads, just roaming around. So this got us interested in trying to understand what kind of incentives are leading these people to actually move to different places, right? All these incentive structures were designed in augmented reality space. Now, once that uh, once we figured that out, then we, we had to f- understand how these incentives can nudge behavior in real world. For example, if you take uh, businesses around where these people end up going to, If I end up walking to a park and there's an ice cream stall next to it, there's more, there's higher likelihood that I'll actually purchase an ice cream there, right? So if you can actually drive food traffic into places of commerce, that can actually lead to higher amount of commerce in those local areas as such. So we tried to see was uh, Pokemon Go successful in actually improving the commerce in certain locations that it was engaged with. If so, what kind of commerce was it? So we ended up uh, looking at different types of businesses and restaurants. And we figured only certain kind of restaurants actually benefit from partnering with Pokemon Go. And only certain kind of neighborhoods and cities actually benefit from partnering. It's not as beneficial when it comes down to uh, places that are not so popular. It helps the popular places a little more. And uh, In addition to that, it's also about uh, people consume more does not always mean people have a positive perception, right? So when they come to a business, the fact that they can engage with an augmented reality app might also mean they should go back with some kind of a positive perception. Yeah, so that's what we found. We found Pokemon Go actually leads to both engagement and perception
0: right so what i could understand from what you just described was that uh, some of the research that you've worked at works at the falls at the intersection of uh, business behavior and biases and biases is quite an interesting concept especially when it comes to data um, as in that it's something that is a little challenging so when it comes to the research work that you do what was something that you found more challenging than you thought it would be
1: so uh... So when I got started off, right, let, let me give you some more background on where I got started off. When I started off, I was averse to programming. While I knew programming can be interesting. I always thought that was not for me. I always thought, uh, I am a design guy. I'm going to design, uh, interfaces and softwares, but I'm not going to be the one who is going to program it. With time, when I started getting my hands dirty with a little bit of programming, I just realized it was just a mental block in my head. I just had to put in a few more hours into it before I'd start liking it, right? And that's exactly when uh, uh, when I got started with my PhD. That's that's when I realized, hey, I think it's my time to pick up programming. And that was the toughest part because, because of the mental block, not because it was actually tough to learn. It took some time to overcome that. It took probably two to three months to overcome that. But now, now I can safely say one of the things that I most enjoy is actually programming. And it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's like this. When you start putting in hours into anything, anything can become interesting for you. And it's just about putting in those first set of hours before it starts getting interesting. So whenever people say, I'm, uh, this is my passion, I often tell myself, hey, just that you haven't tried a bunch of other things, you're assuming that this is your passion and, you can be passionate about anything. The fact that you can be passionate, you can be passionate about anything. Yeah, so programming was it, to answer your question. Right.
0: I I think that's a very interesting take, especially your consideration that uh, you're passionate about something just because you haven't tried something else out is a very interesting concept. Um, Other than uh, passion or the ability to put in hours, as you said, what would you think uh, are some of the most important traits that someone would need to work in your industry?
1: so academia is is a tricky place actually so uh, a lot of people say it's not for everyone and i've come to agree that it's actually not for everyone academia is a patience game it's not instant gratification you don't see the so what you do anytime soon you might document them up sure but the time you you take to submit a paper the time it uh, the reviewers get back with uh, their comments and then you have to address those comments to actually have that excitement sustained for a long time is not everybody's game. So, yeah, that's that's why I think academia is not for everybody. At the same time, there is, there is a lot of things in academia that are very endearing. The kind of freedom that academia gives you is not something that you'd find in every other profession. Think of uh, working on things that you only care about. Which other profession would probably give you that opportunity, right? here you have the freedom to work on things that you really care about that you think need to be studied that you think will make a difference in the world and you have you have all the freedom to do that yes there is uh, a different kind of pressure say from uh, from the perspective of an academia and making it in tenure and things like that but but those are those are smaller things i mean those are like speed breakers on the way i mean you'll get through them as long as you will to wanting to do something meaningful is strong enough, I'm sure everybody who wants to do something will get through. And
0: in fact, it leads me to my next question, which is that um, given that you said that academic research uh, is not really meant for everyone, how would you say that research at a B school is different from research, uh, say, in a corporate research R&D wing or in research at, say, an engineering school?
1: Okay, let me first qualify what I mean by not for everyone. it's that instant gratification part I was just mentioning. A lot of people would like to see the results of what they've done or want to be appreciated for what they've done much sooner, right? Here, you don't have an association with what you've done and when you get the appreciation for it, right? So uh, if you're okay in that environment, probably uh, research might not might be a good place for you. And of course, uh, every other attribute of wanting to do well, uh, wanting to put in those hours and and having a good discipline, all of that, Anyways, holds here. That's not really different from any other industry. So uh, coming to your question about how academic research is different from uh, a corporate research. In academic research, it's typically about figuring out something that has never been figured out. So it's about creating knowledge. So if you, if you ask us what we are in the business of, we are in the business of creating knowledge, right? Teaching is spreading that knowledge that you create. Right. A bunch of us sit together, uh, collaborate, and create different pieces of minuscule amounts of knowledge. And when you accumulate all of it together and actually spread it across, that becomes the whole exercise of teaching that becomes educational in institutions as such. The corporate research is more often than not about trying to figure out things that are relevant to you at that point in time. You want to know about what your competitors are doing. It's not creating knowledge. Right, it's discovering what's already there. So the nature of nature of uh, research itself is very, very different when it comes to academia versus um, any corporate environment. As such, most corporate projects are driven by uh, an orientation of uh, a goal. Right, I mean, you you already know where you're heading to, and you try to find relevant information towards achieving that goal. Yeah, so Jay. hope that answers. So, Uh, One more point here, right? I mean, academic research is mostly about, especially in the business school, is mostly about figuring out the cause and effect of things. A lot of academic research is around saying, hey, this leads to this. When you have a policy like this, it leads to an outcome like this, right? Uh, Which is not the case with, say, engineering research, where the nature of research itself Changes there. If you think of a machine learning algorithm, if you make a marginal um, increment to an existing accuracy, that's still a good contribution in computer science, right? That is great. Uh, but the kind of studies business school journals are uh, interested in are more to do with causality. Hey, can you can you talk about things that lead to some some kind of an outcome? hey, now you've got metaverse. Now, how do interactions in metaverse change with respect to interactions online, for example, right? So that's that's like what does metaverse lead you to do? So a lot of causation is what uh, business school journals and professors worry about
0: right that makes sense uh, so there was one thing that you mentioned that uh, research is more like a long term game it's not one where you have this instant gratification so uh, with that aspect <clears throat> in mind how do you keep yourself motivated uh, for such long term goals
1: the fact that you get to work on what is interesting itself should be your uh, uh, reward right i mean if i'm if i'm getting to work on something now sure my same my pokemon go paper took three to four years to get published. But it was exciting when I was working on it. I think that itself was the reward for me. Um, again, it comes down to mindset. If you can actually tell yourself, hey, I'm, I'm not really looking for somebody else accepting my journal, some other journal accepting my publication. Rather, I'm looking for the fact that I am trying to learn something about this that I already don't know. And then this process end up discovering something that I can share with everybody else. That is very exciting. But yeah, I mean, if you look for external validation, of course, it's not the thing for you.
0: Right. Understood. So um, actually, that brings me to my next question that uh, having attended your classes, I can understand the amount of uh, preparation required to teach a class. So as a professor, how do you balance your time between developing course material, your uh, taking the classes and doing your own individual research work?
1: Okay. Uh, let, let me first give you a sense of how this works first and probably then go into a deeper philosophical answer. See, a lot of times, once you teach a course a couple of times, you already get a hang of what is going to happen. So the amount of preparation that you need to do the third or the fourth time that you are actually teaching the course is actually minimal. It's just the marginal effect that, uh, effort that you put in. You, of course, prepare for one day before you teach the class. Yes. Uh, but developing a course is where most of uh, the energies goes. In, right? Developing content, again, is uh, going to the philosophical side of things. It is no different from research. You're trying to uncover something that you already don't know and put all these pieces together in a cohesive manner so that it can be delivered to um, a bunch of students in a manner that is interesting and engaging for two hours. Right? So that's So that becomes the challenge. So you bring these little, little pieces that have been researched in the past, put them together and make a nice story out of it. This story-making process is, yes, time-consuming, but a lot of times it happens organically also. A lot of times you borrow ideas from uh, people you've seen in the past. You borrow ideas from books. You get these structures from how students interact with you. You figure out what's important for them then automatically the contextual examples also start coming, right? So it's it's like that. So at a deeper level, it's I don't think it's much different from research. And in fact, one of the first things that I was told when I was joining a PhD was um, by a professor who told me, hey, people often miss this. If you want to be a good teacher, you should first be a good researcher because if you're not a researcher, you are inherently don't have, you won't have an incentive to be curious. If you're not curious, how would you make somebody excited about something, right? So that research meant of mind really helps you come back and do a good job in teaching. And that's exactly why you see a lot of tenure track faculty uh, in business schools. You don't just see researchers there, you see researchers who end up teaching because they're in the best position to spread the knowledge because they've accumulated knowledge with the same curiosity, right?
0: Right. I think that's really interesting and it sheds a lot of light on why uh, even at a B school, professors conduct so much research and are so involved in their research work. Uh, so yeah. I think yeah. that really uh, brings light to that particular aspect that I was also trying to understand. Um, mm-hmm. Secondly, that okay. given that you're balancing so much, how do you maintain uh, productivity throughout the day? If you have any hacks, it's, that would be the... It's
1: It's a good question. It's a very good question. I think Um, Yeah, so productivity is a a tricky question, right? I think all of us have a different relationship with it. And it's at the core of it, it it comes down to understanding our own personality to some extent. Uh, I can obviously share what little things work for me. Like, uh, I realized that if I have two screens, it's great to have two screens for multitasking. I can keep different things on different screens, refer to them. But I realized Two screens are really bad for me when each time I have to write. Two screens are great when I'm programming, but each time I'm I'm supposed to be writing, they don't work for me because I'm tempted to keep something like a music at the background on the other screen. And if something comes up, I'm drawn to it. It's easy to get distracted. So I've realized, okay, if I have to write, I know I should just sit with my laptop in a corner in a closed environment where I, I see no other distractions except this and then work. So I don't sit in my office when, whenever I'm writing at the same time, I need bigger screens and bigger, uh, uh, a lot of information spread across each time I'm programming. So each time I'm writing a code, analyzing data, it's great if a bunch of things are around. So I have to tune my environment accordingly. So this is one example of me figuring out, Hey, your environment actually plays a lot of role in how productive you can be and you may need different environments for different kinds of works that you end up doing, right? Programming and uh, uh, writing are two examples, but I know I'm much better off uh, when I have a whiteboard and ideating when I have another person with me. So I would love to have a whiteboard uh, in my environment each time I'm ideating. So productivity ends up being uh, the fact that you can do the best with whatever time you have, and the first thing I do is set the environment, right? And it takes time to get into focus for all of us. And especially if you want to stay long in the focus, uh, it takes even more time to get deep into focus, right? So whatever minimizes your time to get into focus and get started is a great productivity hack. At the same time, uh, another thing I, I often do is Is I mean, all all these uh, uh, work modes on phones, they really work well. Keep aside everything when you have something to do. First, time block everything that you want to do. Set aside time tomorrow afternoon, 3 to 3.30. I am going to listen to a podcast. That is also work. So I will listen to it with all the focus there is. Right? If I can plan for it and I have the discipline to do everything I've planned, I'm good to go. Then I can plan for having fun. I can plan for sleeping more. I can plan for playing. I can plan for meeting people. It's all work. It's all some kind of work anyways at the end of the day. right? So yeah, that I think these are the things that work for me. Uh, time boxing essentially. And then uh, making sure you set the right environment for uh, yeah. For whatever you want setting out. to
0: Right. I think that's a very uh, interesting concept, especially having these focused time blocks, uh, whether it's for work, whether it's for play, it just helps uh, maintain productivity. So coming to the fact that research is uh, in a way a creative profession, it as you mentioned, that it's something where you're creating knowledge. So how are you able to Uh, transition into a place like say for example you've kept three to say 5 pm is time for you to think how do you get to train your mind into coming into that kind of mode where it just thinks and doesn't get distracted by other thoughts
1: that's a tough thing that's obviously a tough thing i don't think anybody in the world uh, uh, can just switch on and switch off that easily everybody tries to get better at it Uh, but like i said if you If you know that if you're ending, say, if you're watching a movie, uh, watching a thriller movie and coming out of it, obviously you can't be uh, expecting to do research right after that, right? I mean, your mind will still have an after effect of whatever you've done just before. So that's why anything that needs deep focus, it's best not to follow it up with uh, anything intense that you've done. So um, this is an advice I got from uh, some of my advisors during PhD as well. Decide. any thinking work, anything deep, do it in the mornings with a fresh mind. That makes sure you're not diverted, you're not exhausted because that's just the beginning of the day. You can get through that. And the fact that you get get through it gives you immense uh, uh, dopamine rush, essentially, right? To say that, hey, I've already accomplished something. Now I'm starting the rest of the day on, on a high.
0: Right, that's really interesting. Um, So coming from a research background myself, um, one of the things that I learned was that being aware of the state of the art was something that's very important when you're doing research. So uh, given that you time block your day like this, how do you set aside time to self-educate and keep yourself up to date on what is happening in the world around you?
1: Okay, frankly, I, I don't think I actively do that. It ends up happening as long as you venture out enough, talk to enough people uh, as a part of everything else that you're doing, uh, are curious enough to know what's happening in the world, have conversations. I think a lot of these learnings inherently start happening. Uh, you, At least I did not have to specifically set out time to, say, get educated or read news. Um, because the fact that you're talking to 10 people, <laughs> it, the news will come out, right? I think, again that's uh, i identify myself as an extrovert and uh, this becomes an easy thing for me to do but at the same time i understand this might not be the right thing or a right piece of advice for everybody it might just be um, a time that needs to be set aside to actually learn what's going on right for somebody else right uh, that's it i mean it's, it's not about just giving a subjective answer here but i i i think we'll have to figure out really what we are i think that helps design a lot of engagements that we do with ourselves, right?
0: Right. So I think that understanding really goes a long way
1: in terms of incentivizing ourselves to do something better.
0: Absolutely. Right. So on that note, I just have one last question for our knowledge nugget segment, which is that um, you made a pivot into academia and research. How do you uh, recommend someone who is in corporate, for example, make a pivot into research?
1: If your question is how, uh, let them ask more questions first. Let them ask if they're inherently okay with a life in research. If that is not appealing to them, probably let them not even get started with this idea. Right. Uh, A lot of research stems from the fact that you are curious and you can ask the right questions. If you're curious, sometimes you figure out the answers. Maybe if you're curious enough, but somebody else has figured it out for you, then that's great. If you're so curious that a lot of questions that you already have do not already have answers, then that means you're you're good for getting started with the research, right? Get trained in a bunch of uh, uh, toolkits. Any research that you can talk about has some kind of statistics at the core of it. Understand how to work with data, understand the limitations of working with data, understand how to make inferences with it, and understand how to communicate in a scientific way. If these fall into place, you can obviously get started with the uh, things that interest you or things that are bugging you in the nights and start learning more about it at the end of the day.
0: Right. Thank you so much. And with that, we come to the end of the Knowledge Nugget segment and we'll move on to the quick rapid fire questions so if you're ready then i'll just start off
1: okay sure
0: all right so what is one thing that you wish your younger self knew about your current profession
1: that it pays me a lot of money i never knew all right there are lots of opportunities and it has lots of way to monetize too yeah
0: all right uh who would you say is a mentor in in your professional life that you really look up to
1: There are many, actually, the question of mentors, uh, um, I think each phase in life, you need a different kind of a mentor and and a role model. There are many, but definitely my academic advisor, was the one that I took a lot from, um, Professor Karthik Kannan, I owe a lot to him uh, in how he shaped me up throughout my journey.
0: All right. If you weren't doing research, what would you be doing? What other profession could you have been pursuing?
1: I think I'd be very excited uh, being a product manager. Uh, I really like the idea of building something and really understanding how people engage with something that you build. So I think I would have probably been a product manager.
0: All right. Uh, do you have any movie that you would like to recommend? Movie? A movie so or a movie?
1: There's, a Tamil, there's this Tamil movie called Anbe Sivam, which happens to be one of my favorite movies. Uh, it it talks about uh, the idea of God and human beings in a in a way that is very endearing, and it's a beautiful story. So that that's a movie that I hold close to my heart and would love. I keep recommending it to people.
0: Right, and my final question is: uh, Do you have any question that you wish I would have asked you today?
1: Well, that's a good question. So I think. Uh, uh... <laughs> I don't know how to phrase the question. I probably will answer it myself, not the question mm-hmm. itself. I think uh, something on the lines of how do we actually tell ourselves that data is not something that we should be scared of? Is something that I would start thinking of but because a lot of times people people have the stigma about, oh, there's, there's machine learning. There's something that I don't understand, uh, something that I can't work with. Therefore, I will never venture into Right. But at the core of it, a lot of things that you do with data right now are are common sense, extended common sense. If you understand what's going on behind, you'd be like, "Ah, how? Why did I not think of it already?" Right. So there is this inherent fear about uh, analytics and machine learning being something that people cannot really venture into. I think it's never too late. MBA is a great time to get exposed to it. MBA. And uh, uh, at the same time, you have a lot of online content that helps you learn the basics of it and get started. And so many tools are available right now. And the world is moving there, right? Have you, uh, you might have heard or seen examples of ChatGPT and the kind of great things that it does already. So yeah, that's, that's probably something that I would have loved to talk about a little more.
0: All right. Thank you so much with that, Professor. Uh, We come to the end of our session today. It's been such an absolute pleasure having you on call with us. And thank you so much for taking out the time to answer all our questions. I'm sure our listeners would be greatly benefited.
1: Thank you, Ruchila. Thanks for the opportunity. Cheers.